medical lab fraud. It's like dealing with the mafia. And we'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Everybody ready for the Mind Dog Magnificent And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Got to turn my cell phone off. I apologize for this, folks. I should have been uh, more professional about that and headed off in advance. Uh, my guest, I saw him. He just kind of popped in as the music was blasting. So I'm certain that he he got a rude awakening to getting into the green room to blasting loud music. But welcome. Uh, this should be an interesting program tonight. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about fraud, medical lab fraud, how it affects all of us, what some of the possible solutions uh, might be. My guest has written a book about it, spent uh, more than a decade uh, battling against medical uh, lab fraud. And so it should be an interesting and educational uh, discussion tonight. Before I introduce you to him, I need to quickly talk about our sponsor tonight. Who are our sponsors tonight? Uh, tonight's uh, broadcast is uh, brought to you by Fundwise Capital. Fundwise Capital is a business lender matching platform that helps you get the best credit you can get. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit score to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything uh, you need to start or grow your business. Did he say start? Yes, you did hear me correctly. He did say start. Um, if you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, and I don't mean just a whim or an idea, uh, but a solid business plan, well-documented, sit down with an accountant, business manager, marketing manager, all that kind of stuff, and have a well-documented plan that can help you get funding, get the best funding you can qualify for. Use the funding for anything you need. Get the best funding uh, possible using their strategic lender matching platform, which searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. Did I say that already? We have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. But they provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap, fun, uh, gap funding, Bridge loans, all that kind of stuff. They work with real estate, startups, like I mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. Get started. It's really simple, folks. You just go to apply. Apply. Am I speaking correctly and clearly? Apply.funwise.com slash mind dog. Apply.funwise.com slash mind dog. And the link is in the description. And I surely do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors and find out how much money you can get. Do it now. It's not going to cost you anything. And you need money for your business. Funwise Capital, links in the description. Uh, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about medical lab fraud. And, you know, I could be a bit of a jerk uh, with some of the questions I ask. And I, I, my first question to my guest tonight is going to make me sound like a jerk. But I think it's a legitimate question. So uh, just giving him some heads up to be prepared for a jerk question to start off this conversation. Anyway, for the past decade, Chris Rydell has concentrated his efforts, I think it's more than a decade, to be honest with you, uh, on fraud fighting uh, against medical labs that are defrauding American taxpayers and the medical industry, uh, which is the subject of his book called Blood Money. One of the proudest accomplishments uh, Chris has is when uh, he received the Taxpayers Against Fraud Whistleblower of the Year Award in 2011 for assisting in the recovery of $286 million from Quest and LabCorp, uh, LabCorp which he undertook on behalf of the California taxpayers. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Chris Dreidel to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Chris, welcome. Hi. Thank you, Matt. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well. Uh, sorry about the mix-up, which was the cause of my my phone still being on and and uh, a little bit of a late start here today. Apologies for the people. And to you, Chris. What I'm glad we got it worked out. Um, so the, the, the jerk question to start off with, it, it seems like a, a jerk question, but I'm a simple man and, and a simpleton in a lot of ways. And so sometimes identifying a problem can be easy. Identifying a solution can sometimes be easy. But I, I'm wondering why this, why this is a whole book, because it seems like a really simple problem. There's, the industry is uh, filled with fraud. We know it exists. Why can't we just shut it down? That's what a simple person would say. So it seemed like uh, why it, it, it seemed like a one-page book or a one-sentence. 
there's fraud. There's fraud. We need to stop it. It's a great question. And uh, first, let me say that uh, Blood Money is a true crime thriller. It's what I went through, the fight I had with these two industry goliaths trying to stop their fraud. Um, and the, the, the short answer is, well, first, healthcare fraud, not just the labs, but healthcare fraud in general, is massive. The FBI estimates that one out of every $4 in healthcare is lost to fraud. That's $250 billion a year. Now, wouldn't it be nice as a taxpayer if we could all reduce our health care costs by 25% by eliminating fraud? Well, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, it would be a great benefit to each and every one of us. Uh, and the question is, uh, and I think let's get right into the book. What What is the format of the book? Is it anecdotal? Is it... Um, is it basically a lot of statistics? What are we What are we looking at? In no, the- it's a story. It's a true crime story of how I found myself in a situation in my business and in my personal life where uh, I either had to knowingly violate federal and state law to compete with these two industry giants, or close my uh, business, lay off 150 employees, write off most of my net worth, or try and stop the frauds and level the playing field for all laboratories. Wow. Uh, so that's pretty brave. And, and I've talked to uh, people who have actually uh, been on crusades against uh, gigantic monoliths, but none, you know, against like medical labs and, and uh, corporations that are, um, I mean, that that's a huge, uh, a huge dinosaur, a huge monster for you to take on by yourself. Were you completely alone in this? Did you have support in this battle against uh, these big money corporations? Well, it was me. And it took me four months to talk my wife into allowing <laughs> me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I wore her down and she said, Chris, if this ever comes back to hurt our children, I will never forgive you. Wow. And I don't want to hear one word about this at all. Now, we were business partners. She was the president of my business. And for four years, she refused to talk about it. Well, uh, pardon my ignorance, but that um, sounds like uh, the corporations you were taking on are more like the mafia. I mean, when you're concerned about if this ever comes back to her, our children, that sounds like a, a, a somebody who, who's taking on the mafia might be concerned about something like that. Uh, is it really like, a, are we worried about physical things or is it just like monetary, you know, um, you know, countersuits and all that kind of stuff uh, coming against you for financial reasons? The answer is yes. And in fact, I did not know this when I filed. And had I known, and my wife known, she would have never let me file. But many whistleblowers end up unemployable, blacklisted, bankrupt, and divorced. Their lives are utterly ruined. And from the time you file as a whistleblower, your life will never be the same. Uh, As soon as these companies find out who's filed this lawsuit, They do everything they can to destroy you. In the book, there's stories of attempted murder. Uh, I faced extortion, uh, fraudsters hiding money in the Cayman Islands, uh, money laundering. Uh, There was one whistleblower who they had a young family. They came home one night and saw the family dog nailed to the front door and written in the dog's blood, stop. Oh my God, this is some serious stuff. I had no idea this is we were going to get that um, uh, gruesome here. I mean, I I understand some uh, money can make people ruthless, but when we're talking about that stuff, it sounds like TV, uh, you know, made for TV movie. I'm sure you're telling the truth about this, but I have to say it, it's it's shocking for me to. Uh, kind of consider that because uh, you know I grew up grew up in an area that knew the real mafia, but this is what we're sounding like. This is what this uh, whole scenario sounds like is organized crime. Guess it's it very it's very scary, and you know other whistleblowers. You know they've had people parked out in front of their houses night and day. They go through their garbage. Um, you are you will be attacked. Wow. And 
in the back of the book, I have a chapter on rules for whistleblowers. There are some things you can do to somewhat protect yourself. And I, I encourage anybody who's thinking about doing this, who's found a fraud and can't live with it, read that chapter. Yeah, I, you know, I was just thinking that as you were saying that, I was thinking, well, anybody who might be inclined to do the right thing now might have just been intimidated out of trying to do the right thing just by hearing your that just that tidbit of your story that people were you know uh basically facing assassination threats and, and animals being killed and all that kind of stuff uh could could keep a good person from doing the right thing and that uh, i don't want to we don't want to encourage that uh, no you're absolutely right uh they need to take a hard look at their life and i will tell you um there was a retreat a couple of years ago and the top whistleblowers over the last 15 years were there not one of them did it for money not one right two of them were in tears these people got a lot of money as a result of their uh, whistleblower lawsuits and both of them said i would give it all back if i could just get my job back wow pretty heavy stuff now yeah. uh, um a discussion like this, obviously, there, it's a political discussion in a lot of ways because, and and I, you know, I don't know what side of the political fence you stand on, but it seems to me that uh, both parties have to have somebody uh, in office who's protecting these people because if it's such a uh, an obviously and and known uh, situation, the fact that we still are not implementing any solutions to it. Uh, in a big and meaningful way says there's some protection going on somewhere and it has to be in politics. Yes. There are the, the, the statute does provide uh, protections for whistleblowers, but that doesn't mean the departments of justice are going to give you those protections. Right. In my case, for example, what destroyed us was quest and LabCorp went to blue shield, a large insurance company and said, if they would take, my lab, Hunter Labs, out of network, they would voluntarily reduce their fees and their contracts by 10%. Together, they represented 70 to 80% of outpatient lab testing in California. So for Blue Shield, that was just too tempting. And uh, when we finally reached the settlement, I pulled the assistant attorney general aside that you know we were working with, and I said, please, as a term of this settlement, force Quest and LabCorp to go back to Blue Shield and get me put, get us put back in network. And he just laughed at me. Uh, and what did that, what did you, what was your takeaway from, from that, uh, him just laughing at you? I mean, nobody likes to be laughed at, <laughs> but it, I mean, what, what, what did you take away from the long-term meaning of that? It, that it didn't matter that these protections were there the government attorneys have to enforce them. Right. And uh, in fact, you asked at the beginning, why is it that this fraud is so rampant? There's one simple answer. The Department of Justice is not interested in stopping fraud. They're interested in, quote, affordable civil settlements. Right. So for these fraudsters, it pays. Nobody goes to jail or very few people go to jail. Um, in all my cases, nobody lost their job. Nobody lost the bonus based on the fraud. Most of these people got additional stock and raises. Um, and they settle for 20 to 30 cents on the dollar of money's stolen. Wow. Uh, I mean, why would you stop doing fraud? Right. Well, the, the question that confuses me, and I, I understand what, you, what you're saying about the Department of Justice, but where I'm confused is, does it have to be a federal prosecution? Can states uh, uh, get involved, or are they just as unwilling to go after fraud as, as the federal government? Is? Uh, our, my first eight cases were with states, and um, California was fantastic. The assistant attorney general said, we're going to work on this together which is how the whistleblower statue was designed. It was supposed to be a public-private partnership. And so he said, you do all of the legal work, the motions, the discovery, you go through all the documents, I'm gonna work on an unassailable damage claim. And he bought a high-speed computer and he did the damages and it worked great. That's how it's designed. But 
With the other states, with a couple of exceptions, it says, okay, thank you very much. Now go away. We'll figure this out. And because they don't have an insider, it's very hard for them. Right. And the Department of Justice at the Washington, D.C. level, the central DOJ that controls everything, says we will not work with whistleblowers, which is crazy. Really? We're offering them great lawyers at no charge who work under their direct supervision. Uh, and they complain that they're overworked and understaffed, but they don't want a solution. See, it, it, something doesn't add up because prosecutors are willing to work with like meth heads and crack addicts to get information uh, every single day. And it just, when somebody who's, you know, just a regular working person with knowledge of, uh, of something really corrupt going on, they don't want to even hear from them. That just, it's, you can see how that, that those two it's ideas. It's absolutely crazy, but it doesn't matter which administration is in power. These are career civil servants in the Department of Justice and career civil servants, they can't be fired. Doesn't wow. matter what their boss tells them to do, they're gonna do it their way. And that's their way. Wow. Regardless of how poorly they perform. So in a sense though, uh, by writing the book, you're still whistleblowing in a way. Are you still, con are you, uh, is there concern still for your your family and your, your own personal safety and all this? Uh, not at this point, I mean a little, but at this point, it's very hard to attack me from a business financial perspective. There's always the threat of uh, physical right. violence. And, 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 uh, and your dog. <laughs> and, you know, when we did this, my wife said before I could do it, we had to hire uh, someone to give us some guidance on how to protect ourselves. And we hired a former Secret Service agent. And it was fascinating. Wow. He says, be aware. If you see a strange car on your street, call the police. He says today, cars can park down the street and they can these sophisticated electronics. And from your window vibrations, they can record everything you say. Wow. Just be aware. And so we're very aware. Bizarre, man. Yeah, it, you know, th those are the kind of things that you see in, in fictional scripts and all that kind of stuff. And, and we, we accept them in that. But when it happens in real life, it feels... It's so unbelievable, but I, I, not that I don't believe you. It's just, it feels unbelievable. Well, you know, as, 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 as readers read the book, they're going to be shocked at the stories that are in there. And they're going to go, as I would, this can't be true. Right. But it all is. If it wasn't, I'd get sued by somebody. Right. Absolutely. And that was, that was going to be my next question. Uh, has anybody uh, come out to strongly deny anything that's been in the book at all? Or, you know, or they, or would that just shine the spotlight on them, and they'd rather just let it, and hope nobody reads it? <laughs> well, nobody has threatened litigation. Nobody's, you know, contacted us to say you got to take this out of the book. And you know, the the truth is pretty pretty tough to, do, you know, prosecute. You know, we know what's in there is true, and we have all the documents and emails and to prove it. Yeah, uh, I as you say that though, I'm just re reminded of the world we live in. I, that used to be uh, something I believed in, but you know they, the way people twist reality these days, and people can believe in in things, you know, things that just are not real. I'm not so certain about that anymore, but I I do appreciate the sentiment. But uh, um, so for individuals who are uh, you know, paying for stuff and, and they're, they're looking at statements and stuff from their insurers and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything individuals can do to protect themselves uh, from being ripped off? Well, it's um, learn to read and examine the EOB statements that you get from your insurance company. That's the explanation of benefits. Right. It's, it explains what the procedure was, how much the provider was paid, and how much, if anything, you have to pay for a deductible and copay. Look them over. If something stands out, call the insurance company. Um, and if insurance companies uh, aren't paying, don't let them get away with that. Call them up and bother them. And oftentimes, after one phone call, they'll pay. Right. Interesting. Uh, after one phone call, that's that's uh, that's pretty, you know, surprising. I I would say it is, it is. But you know, they're figuring people will pay it. 
Now, um, by definition, what we're talking about here really is a conspiracy, right? I mean, this isn't one one guy or or just a one. It, it seems to me that this is what's part of the shocking thing too is that it's hard enough to get you know and two people to keep a secret, but you know, people working corruptly in tandem with each other, people who are educated people who have careers and lives to protect. It's just, it's hard to imagine, go, uh, you know, medical professionals going along with, you know, business people on things they know are wrong. I mean, maybe I'm just naive in, in feeling that way. But, you know, if I went to school for eight years to get whatever, or 10 years to get my uh, license and degrees and all that kind of stuff, and somebody promises me, uh, you know, nickels and dimes of a huge million, I understanding the millions of dollars here, but each individual is not going to get millions of dollars. Is it worth all my reputation and schooling and career and all that stuff to go along with this conspiracy? And why there aren't, I know this is a long, long question, but why aren't more of those people, these highly educated medical professionals who have to be going along with this stuff, why aren't they whistleblowers and why aren't there more people speaking out about it? Some of them are. Some of them are. In one of my cases, there was a, a doctor in uh, South Carolina, and he got absolutely, oh, the poor guy, he just got destroyed. But let me say, on the other side of that, uh, one of the companies I went after, here was their pitch to doctors. It was a cardiovascular uh, laboratory. You know, cardiovascular disease today, uh, nobody or very few people need to die from it anymore. It's largely preventable and reversible if you use some of the newer tests that are available and the newer diagnostic treatments. So this company came up with a long list of uh, tests, newer tests, some of which were helpful and some of which were not. But here was their pitch. Doc, I'll pay you up to $80 every time you order one of these panels, and I will never bill your patients for anything. So there's no risk to you. And the doctors are thinking, I'm going to get great medicine. And obviously it's okay because this company wouldn't be offering it if it wasn't. But the reality is it's a federal and state kickback for both the lab and the doctor. And it's insurance fraud. So, um, and, you know, the government's reluctant to go after the people that receive the kickbacks. I don't understand why. <laughs> well, well in, in this particular case, the company eventually went bankrupt. Now, it grew to $450 million from nothing in four years. It was, I mean, such a – how do you beat that kind of a, a deal if you're a doctor? And so the government uh, did, chose not to go after the doctors, but the bankruptcy trustee did. And boy, these guys were getting bills up to half a million dollars. And it just, it was a very big deal. And then the bankruptcy trustee went after the patients for not having to pay copays and deductibles. So it kind of rocked the lab. Wow, year. that's pretty heavy. I mean, when you start going after individuals who, oh man, that <laughs> it, so, it sounds evil. The but, poor patients say, the doctor lied to me. He said I'd never get a bill. The doctor says the lab lied to me. He said I. They said I'd never get a bill. Yeah, it was a big, big deal. Yeah. Well, uh, part of what you just said, though, in that was that uh, the doctors think, well, uh, well, it must be okay. And I'm thinking, are are they really as not? Because I feel naive in just in in being alerted to this whole story about how serious it was. Uh, I knew there was fraud, but I didn't know the le level of intimidation and um, and I guess I should have, but I'm I feel naive about the 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 level of um, mob like activity that or Scientology like <laughs> activity that that came along with uh, you know speaking out about this stuff. But it sounds like you're painting a picture of doctors who are as neat as naive as me. Are is it that case or are they corrupt? Both. Oh, really? well, today, um, you know, the insurance companies today have so much power and the people who make most of the money in the healthcare industry today are the CEOs of insurance companies. And um, every year they lower the reimbursement for providers, doctors, labs, whatever, while they increase the prices that 
you know, their insured patients pay. And so poor primary care physicians today, it's very hard to sustain yourself. These guys are desperate. So, you know, it's not a matter of they're all just greedy. Some of them are doing it out of need. Right. I get that. And I understand, you know, part of this is my my feeling. I don't want to spread any um, bad feeling about this. But, you know, when you go to your doctor, you don't want to think this guy's a fraud or he's in on the, the, the grand conspiracy and all that. You want to be able to trust him implicitly. You want that kind of, and I guess that relationship uh, with the, like your home family doctor is probably a thing of the past, which is showing my age a little bit here. But uh, it, that's kind of like a sacred trust. And to feel like now you have to kind of have a skeptical eye when you go to see your family doctor and think, is this guy <laughs> on ripping me off? That's a, that's a really dark place to be. Yes. Uh, and some of these doctors are very good doctors. Right. Uh, so it, uh, we're talking about this, and I know I'm kind of giggling a little bit and being a little silly here, but um, are, are you optimistic for changes or is this going to get continue to get worse? Until the Department of Justice decides they're going to stop fraud and get serious, it's not going to change. That's a no. You're not an optimist. (laughs) No, I have I have a chapter in my book, nine simple suggestions that if DOJ implemented some of them, it would be like fighting fraud with tanks instead of water pistols. Right. Uh, Is it your hope that and and because you obviously have to have some optimism or you wouldn't have written the book. So is it your hope that the book will kind of open a window and and to that discussion or or. Uh, is that just kind of a pipe dream? <laughs> no, that, that is my genuine hope. And you know, people ask, well, what can I do? Right. And I think really the only thing that people can do is write their congressman, and in particular the guy who's the big champion of the whistleblower lawsuit, uh, Senator Charles Grassley, and say, please look into DOJ's poor performance in stopping fraud. And by the way, Read the, you know, the chapter in uh, Blood Money uh, aimed at the Department of Justice explaining how bad their performance is and what very simple changes would turn that around. Now, uh, I have the picture of the book up and you just mentioned the the title of the book. For the people on the audio side who can't see it, the title is called Blood Money, One Man's Bare Knuckle Fight to Protect Taxpayers from Medical Lab Fraud. I can't read the uh, subtitle. It's all the way up on the top. Can you tell me what that says? Well, yeah, that's actually a quote from Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, She was the attorney general in California when we had this settlement. And she's saying, well, you know, we're going to stop this stuff. Well, fortunately, uh, Vice President uh, Harris is a very close friend of my attorney. And when she, you know, gets her hands free from the border and the Space Force and all the other things that are occupying her time right now, I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to get in to see her with someone from the Department of Justice. Because anybody who sits down and looks at the facts and listens to these simple suggestions is going to be persuaded we have to do something. Right. I, I, I hear you about that. And But again, you know, uh, th- my initial reaction to this is uh, is fr- frustration and just the b- bafflement of uh, we know there's a problem and, and why it hasn't been addressed yet. And obviously somebody somebody up very high has to be getting some of some of the profits here but here's the thing when, when i look at this you mentioned a number like 286 million dollars and maybe that's just the tip of the iceberg maybe there's lots of those 286 million dollars but if we look at the number of people that have to be involved to make all this stuff work because we're talking about the the care of 320 million people that have to be millions of people involved in this so if you you break that down to who gets how uh, what it's some people just getting peanuts out of being part of this this massive fraud right it tends to be the larger companies that do this quest for example is uh, the second largest laboratory in the world lab corp is the largest quest has had 10 fraud settlements and two criminal settlements no one got fired. No one lost their bonus. I mean, it's just crazy. 
Right. I mean, one of my simple suggestions for DOJ, which would have a dramatic effect, is if uh, a company signs a settlement agreement uh, and pays money to the government, the people on the board of directors and the senior management must fork over all of the money they were paid during the length of the fraud, which is usually seven years. Wow. Now, if you do that, the board of directors are going to hire their own regulatory council reporting to the board, not management. And their charter is going to be not help us get around laws. Don't let us commit any fraud. Now, would that cause um, the quality of service to go down because the companies that are, are providing these necessary lab uh, procedures are going to be boggled down with infighting and bureaucratic red tape and not being able to get stuff done? That, Absolutely that, not. Both these companies have hundreds of lawyers already, and the quality of their services is, for example, with both of these companies, 5% of test results never come back. Wow. It's because they're shipping them all over the country. They've bought these, uh, uh, they've grown by acquisition. Everybody has different computers. They got to interface them all. But, you know, one out of 20. Uh, and I start the book with uh, a picture of this very vibrant young woman. She was 28. She had these two very young kids. And LabCorp misdiagnosed a pap smear. The pap smear is designed to identify cervical cancer. And then the following page is a picture of her three years later on her deathbed with her two young kids. And LabCorp was found uh, guilty of negligence by a Florida jury. Wow. Another example is a Quest for years marketed a parathyroid hormone test and it didn't work. And as a result of that test, lots of people had their parathyroid glands removed, which required then lifelong drug therapy with expensive and toxic drugs. Now, you can't tell me that they didn't know this test didn't work unless you're not looking at the quality control and the proficiency data. Right. Wow. And they, they pled guilty to a criminal charge and shut that operation down. So it sounds like they'd rather uh, take the risk of, of, of being found out wrong than, than take corrective action up front and because the profits are just too... Exactly. Everything is the earnings per share. Wow. Wow. It's, it's a scary thing to think about. Uh, now, was writing the book a difficult thing for you? I mean, you have, you, this, this is your first time being an author, correct? Am I correct? Yes, in that? yeah. And so writing a full-length book, even nonfiction, I think has to be easier than, than fiction because you're not making stuff up. But what, was it a difficult thing for a non-author to, to engage in uh, this book? Well, yeah, it was difficult. Uh, I loved writing the book. And it took me a year to write it. And then I sent it out to reviewers. And, and the reviews came back that this is a great investigative journalism piece, but it is not a thriller. Uh -huh. So I rewrote it again. It took another year and uh, I sent it out and people loved it. So then I sent it to my attorney and my attorney says, Chris, you can't say your opinions of DOJ in this book. They're going to dismiss all of our cases. So <laughs> I had to rewrite it a third time, leaving the facts in and letting people come to their own conclusions about the Department of Justice and uh, Assistant Attorney Generals. Wow. Um, and so what, what I'm guessing now, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, the the Attorney General was Barr at the time you started writing, and then Merrick Garland by the time you were done with it, or am I wrong in that? Uh, no, I, no, I think it was the guy before Barr, oh. the guy from the South. Oh. Um, um, uh, Jeff, um, Jeff Sessions. Yeah. He, I think he was the <laughs> attorney general when I started. Okay. And, uh, uh, I had high hopes that, you know, I'd get an invite to meet with Jeff Sessions and I contacted a couple of, um, people who knew him well, nowhere. Right. Well, he had his hands full with the whole time. He was <laughs> they all have their hands full. I know. Uh, I know they do. 
all the time too. But but you you know you would think fraud would be, but again you know when when the, the suspicion comes down when you're not not aggressive against fraud, it just makes you look like you're complicit. <laughs> in some way. I, you're right, and in fact you know in Obamacare. One of the ways they funded it was they said, we're going to go after fraud and we're going to collect all this money. And so it won't cost so much. Right. They didn't change a thing. Right. You know, that's my uh, big. And, and again, I don't want to get too political here, but when I hear uh, the arguments on the left against uh, smaller government, it, they, they always assume that it means taking away. And I don't want to. I think for most conservatives, it does mean taking away uh, some services of government. But I think. Fraud, you know, minimizing fraud and making government more efficient is the best way we can downsize government. And so that idea about smaller government, I support 100 percent. But uh, for some, I know the idea to a lot of people on the left, smaller government sounds like a Ronald Reagan type of um, uh, like a, an agenda of, of reducing the government. I'm not sure that's what it has to mean. I think making it more efficient and fraud-free and corruption-free would make it a lot smaller and and reduce the burden on the American taxpayer tremendously, right? Well, it would, it would certainly reduce the burden on the taxpayers if they would just stop fraud. Right. Just say, we're going to stop it. Yeah. They can do it, and they can stop it fast. As soon as you see the CEO of a Fortune 500 company being perp-walked on his way to prison, it's over. Right. <laughs> yeah. and well, in fact, an assistant uh, um, U.S. attorney at a Taxpayers Against Fraud conference once described Merck, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world, if not the largest, as organized crime masquerading as a pharmaceutical company. No, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's basically how I uh, characterized characterize it from the beginning of this conversation. So it was that Martin Scarelli guy, uh, was he just like a an official, like a, a uh, scapegoat, like, you know, our, our sacrificial lamb? He, you know, was a, he, he, he kind of raised the bar for fraudsters. He's just a terrible, terrible person so, with no ethics, as far as I can tell. So he was just too uh, overtly corrupt to not prosecute? Yeah. <laughs> he was so bad. That, that's funny. So that's like, you know, so bad that the devil wouldn't touch him. I mean, basically, that you, that's how bad you have to be because you're talking about organized crime. It doesn't want, and I'm going to refer to him as organized crime from here on out. Uh, they don't want to touch him because he's too dirty for them. That's that's pretty, pretty serious stuff. Well, but, you know, uh, also, uh, organized crime is now moving into healthcare. Right. And the reason is, because it still pays a lot of money and the risks are so much less. Right. Well, that I think that's uh, what people don't realize, you know, organized crime in the, and in the major cities kind of, we, we always thought of them as uh, loan sharking and all, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, gambling and, and prostitution, whatever drug running, but I think they've moved, uh, <laughs> You know, from whatever crackdown and Rico stuff, they moved away from that low-level street crime to white-collar crime across the board because it's far yeah. more lucrative and it's easier to, you know, insulate yourself from prosecution because there are so many levels of yes. people. Yeah, uh, interesting stuff. So, um, so again, in in writing the book, did you learn anything new that you didn't know before you started writing? When you had the first first intention to write the book, did you learn anything in the process of writing the book? Did yeah, I learned how to uh, create characters and develop a, a storyline. I, I learned how to be a writer. Wow! And uh, I mean, that's it's tremendously rewarding to, to you know to look back now where it's an Amazon bestseller. People universally love it, and uh, I'm just proud that I was able to accomplish this. Uh, here's a question I ask oh, uh, fiction writers, and I always get, uh, a, you know, oh, don't be silly type of response, but I have to ask you this. Who plays you in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I'll leave that for the movie, guys. <laughs> well, oh, no, but the, the question is usually a setup in like, of course, because most of uh, fiction writers will, will kind of be that um, they're 
and I think it's 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 just natural. You write a book like you know that you see it as a movie, and this sounds like uh, it would either make either a fascinating documentary or a real you know feature film. So have you have, did you even uh, entertain those thoughts at all? Oh yeah, and in fact, a lot of people have said this has to be made into a movie, uh, but I don't know anybody in Hollywood. Uh, and you know, I don't think uh, that matters as much anymore. What what matters is they don't want to do any work. So you, you, you a book is not enough. You have to have a finished screenplay and pitch it to right, a right. And uh, I've been told, you know, I could treat you know for X amount of dollars, I can create a screenplay. I don't know how to create a screenplay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my wife says you're not spending any more money. <laughs> right. And so from, from the average uh, reader, the people on the street, the people who picked up your book, uh, have you gotten a lot of, uh, you know, direct feedback, in, uh, whether on social media and that kind of stuff, where you act, not just leaving a review on Amazon and all that kind of stuff, but people who've communicated with you directly about what their takeaway from the book is? Yeah, I've had quite a few. And they express, as you do, shock and uh admiration for the courage it took to continue the fight um and and just how much they enjoyed it right so and, the question is do they encourage you that when's your next book coming out or are you going to be an author now is this the path you're on now did you enjoy it that much that you you envisioned this as your life uh, life of authorship <laughs> i've actually started uh, a second book in the healthcare industry I'm, I'm not ready to do, as you suggested, jumping into fiction where I have to make it all up. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, that sucks. I, I can't, I can't imagine. That's part of my big, uh, and I've inter interviewed probably 300 authors now, the idea of how you invent characters to me, because every, every character I would invent would be just a version of somebody I really know in real life, and I'm just disguising them. I can't just make up people. <laughs> Well, and also you got to create the storyline. Whereas right. if it's true, you're just telling what happened. Right, exactly. Uh, so your next book is uh, going to be about what? It's going to be about a major hospital system in this country that are really bad, really right. bad. They, uh, they have a for-profit subsidiary and they just bully and beat people and steal technology. Oh, wow. That's it's crazy. just horrible. And it's one of the top hospital chains in the world. Um, you know what's interesting to me? I, and I, I did a piece for my a local newspaper. I, I, did, I did a series called It's Not There. And one of the ones was the hospital I was born in is not there anymore. But I, it occurred to me that uh, how, how the hospital system has changed in my life. Have hospitals become a, like a corporate monopoly type of thing? Because they were, you know, there. I don't see any, you know, I don't see as many of those small private hospitals that they used to be. Is is it all like a like a chain system now? Yeah, it's the Hospital Corporation of America. It's the Kaiser um, in California. It's the Sutter. But wherever you go in this country, these big hospital chains are gobbling up smaller hospitals because the smaller hospitals, they can't compete. They, you know, they just can't make it. Baffling. It's baffling because on so many levels, and again, coming back to politics, I don't care if you're on the left or right. Most, uh, we can argue about big government, small government, but we nobody argue, argues that uh, big corporations and monopolies are, are a good thing, unless you're like somebody who runs one of the, like if you're Jeff Bezos, you might argue that. Well, or, let me give you an example of how egregious it is in healthcare. Sutter Hospital chain in California is this huge chain of hospital after hospital after hospital. And they have so much market share that they go to the insurance companies and they say, we don't care what you pay other hospitals or other providers. You're going to pay us two to three times as much, or you're not going to have access to our hospitals. Wow. Wow. That's really corrupt and, and, and evil. Again, it feels evil. <laughs> I mean, and they do it because they can get away with it. Right. No insurance company is going to say, oh, well, you know, to their employees, you're going to have to drive 80 miles to get to a hospital. 
Right. Well, that's part of what what I was saying about baffling because I think virtually, if there are 320 million people in America, I would say 300 of them would agree that monopolies are generally not a good thing for the consumer, for the general public, all of that stuff. But yet, we live in a time where more and more things are becoming monopolized, and we seem to be okay with that, whether it's the WalMarts, Amazons, or hospital stuff. It's, so it's baffling. We all, I think we for the most part, most of us agree that monopolies are a bad thing, but we're all supporting them and watching them grow and doing nothing about it. And it's, it's, it's I like my iPhone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And right. I like getting my Amazon delivery the next day. Me too. And yeah, I, and I, I understand that uh, the Amazon experience is what makes the, uh, us as a consumer. Lo- so it that part of it feels great. The idea that yeah, well, you know, they, they're really efficient. They deliver what I want. I can return it. No no problem. The service part of, I think Jeff Bezos was a genius in understanding that if you serve the customer and make the customer happy with the service they get, they don't care if you're murdering babies. They'll... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, I, you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at Nike. You know, all their stuff is forced child labor. Right. Uh, but people want their Air Jordans. Right. And, and, you know, Amazon making people go to the bathroom in the vans in cups and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it sounds like we should be outraged, but as long as my package is here on time and if it's not right and I can return it, no questions asked, uh, that's cool. Uh, I'm, I'm still ordering yeah. from Amazon. It's bizarre. Uh, so we, we talked about you're not an optimist for this, but you do offer some solutions, right? I mean, yeah. uh, I and, do. and has any of any anything happened positively uh, based on like the ideas that you, you, you share in the book about solutions. Does anybody take any action on them? Not yet. Not yet. I think it's going to take a groundswell of letters to congressmen and particularly Senator Grassley. Right. Um, I mean, all it's going to take is one congressional hearing where they have me and maybe another whistleblower and you have these guys running you know, the civil division and the criminal division at DOJ, what what a hearing that would be. Because there's no way these people can defend their actions. Right, yeah. Well, uh, we watched uh, Scarelli, you know, be kind of, and the entire country kind of, basically came to and again it didn't matter what what your politics were everybody looked at that guy the the same way because it was indefensible yes yeah bad guy and you know in business i've met other people like him but he's raised the bar yeah uh to me and i hate to think the guy's pure evil but it seemed to me like he was just so too young for for the responsibility uh, at least he looked that way he looked like too young for the responsibility and i can uh, sometimes i i sound like an ageist now but sometimes i think it, being older is uh, as a requirement for being a ceo there are reasons for it because uh young men <laughs> can't be given all that kind of power and authority and unlimited money uh, and be trusted with it i know i couldn't have been in my 20s or early 30s i would have been a, a pretty bad person <laughs> i started my first business at 24 and i started five and been the ceo of all of them there's just something within me that is moral right. and ethical it's just it's just it's i could never consider doing the things he did and and a lot lesser things too like the frauds that i see in healthcare never do those things Right. But that's how I'm wired. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, just the idea of not even thinking of being too stupid to know any better when I was young. I mean, obviously, you were probably more grown up than I was at 24. At 24. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let, let me ask you this about consumer rights on this whole thing, because you mentioned Quest and, and you know, does, does, and I don't know if it varies from state to state, but does a consumer have the right to say, well, pick a lab they want to do their lab work on? Do you know if that's a state to state or federal thing? Uh, no, I've, uh, patients are free to go to any lab they choose. Doctors may say, you know, here's the Quest requisition and want you to go to Quest, but that doesn't mean you have to go there. Right. 
So is that that a possible solution to cut down on fraud is the idea? Because I don't think most people know that or even get concerned with that. They don't even question it, doctor, of which lab you're sending it to. You're right. They don't. And, you know, there there still are some very good local labs uh, in this country. It's going there fewer every year. Uh, and I would encourage people to, you know, check them out. Wow. We know how the big boys operate. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a, a really helpful solution. I mean, if, you know, people know me, I'm not really a doctor guy. I don't go to doctors a lot, no matter how much I like to complain. My wife said, you know, I'd rather just suffer and, and, and let everybody know how much I'm suffering than go to a doctor. But so, but if I were to go to a doctor now, I think my eyes would be open enough to say, doc, what lab are you sending that to? Is there an alternative that's not one of these huge corporations? Uh, yes. that would be first stop for me that's a great question for your doctor right uh and i i bet you if i asked i'm going to ask the audience as a poll or you can write to me at info at minddogtv.com if you've ever asked your doctor what lab are you sending that to because i don't think i i would be willing to bet that nobody's ever asked that question and a doctor would be shocked to hear it like what do you mean? <laughs> I, you know, I don't I won't start stuttering at you. What do you mean? What, 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 what are you talking about? <laughs> Thinking, you know, what you must be up to something. Uh, have you done your first book signing yet? Have you, have you done those? Well, no, that, it's all Zoom today because of COVID. Right. Uh, but I'm thinking because you mentioned that Jeff Sessions was in the office, I was thinking you were probably out doing it before COVID, no? Well, the book wasn't, uh, the book, the book wasn't out when he was in. Okay, um, but I wanted to meet with him to give him the facts about how poorly DOJ performs. Right, and it's, it's it's just it's so simple. The fixes are easy. What do you think of? And obviously, my audience is not going to be big enough to make this happen. But I think grassroots wise, we can kind of try to spread the word. What do you think? Uh, uh, a grassroots of the idea of a grassroots movement to write to whoever to get you in front of Congress for this kind of... Uh, yeah, just to say, you know, I read Blood Money. Uh, I'm shocked at the poor performance of the Department of Justice. Would you please read, you know, chapter, I think it's 29. I'm and, surprised you don't have that memorized because uh, most authors when I, I've, I've interviewed can point to, you know, exactly what paragraph within... <laughs> within well, any it is the last chapter in the book. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, just read that okay. and, uh, you know, contact this author or contact others, whistleblowers or the Taxpayers Against Fraud organization. And let's get to the bottom of it and stop it. Yeah. Good, good way to end this discussion. Well, I wish you great success with this. And thank you for, I mean, really an eye opening uh, discussion. I, again, I mean, I feel kind of naive. I feel very naive in the way I looked at this prior to this discussion, I just figured, ah, so they could threaten with lawsuits or all this stuff. I think uh, another book that might be like a, I don't know, companion guide to this kind of thing is uh, a step-by-step how to be a whistleblower book. <laughs> yeah, it'll be considered well, that, that. I have a whole chapter on that. Yeah, a chapter. I think it would be that. That's a, a whole book within itself on you know what the things to take in, into account and all. all oh yeah, 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 yeah. People who just decide they're going to do this without yeah. doing some really necessary steps are likely to get hammered. You know, it occurs to me that the whole whistleblower thing. Uh, we agree that it's necessary and it needs to be protected, but whether you are for it against it depends on the current situation and how it affects you personally. In other words, uh, you know, if I have a political agenda says um, such and such coming out against such and such candidate or, or whatever, as a whistleblower, all of a sudden I hate whistleblowers, but if it's something that's going to save me money on my healthcare costs, all, all of a sudden, right. I hate <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So it's like you got to be really uh, cognizant of the cause and the public sentiment about the cause you're going to blow. One out of $4 you pay for health care. Right. Wouldn't have to pay if we stopped the fraud. Right. And so you all get a 25% discount. We all do. 
So the public will uh, applaud and support whistleblowers like you, but maybe not so much if uh, it's against their own personal party of choice or any of that kind of stuff. They'll get angry at it or, you know, uh, any other kind of whistleblower who's not serving their interests. Somebody blowing a whistle against a corporation that you work at, all of a sudden they're going to be really... uh, Uh, Yeah, I'm not a very popular guy at Quest. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's been, again, eye-opening. I wish you great success with the continued success with the book. And do me a favor, if you're so inclined and you enjoyed this conversation, please, when your next book comes out, please consider coming back and let's, let's talk about that because this hospital uh, system is uh, something I'm very interested to, and I think it would serve the public uh, to know about that. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. It's been Um, a pleasure here, too. Uh, And the name of the book, again, thank you, Chris, and bye for now. The name of the book, again, is Blood Money. It's available at at chrisrydellauthor.com. Just go there. And, of course, it's available on Amazon, but you start it at his website, chrisrydellauthor.com. And uh, I hope you... uh, took some benefit and education here. I know I did. Uh, I, I've been, uh, I feel enlightened. I feel like I started out pretty naive. Um, but it's a really serious thing. But you know what? I, I Where I started off, I'm a simple guy, simpleton in a lot of ways. I know I don't want to sound like Bill O'Reilly saying that because I know he used to say all that stuff and used to aggravate me. But I really am. I, I when, when there's something that is so obvious and so... I mean, he's stopping the fraud. It's, it's just that simple. I mean, and we all agree it's there. We all know it's there. It's it's really frustrating why, and the, the answer always comes down to somebody in power is protecting this whole thing. Love to hear your thoughts about it uh, and uh, enlighten me some more with uh, your opinions. Info at minddogtv.com. Info at minddogtv.com. Tomorrow at 1 p.m., Lori Levin will be with me, and uh, she has a book, uh, Call Me a Woman. Not me. Uh, I'm, I mean, if you want to call me that, you're free to, but... Anyway, uh, she's a transformation coach, and so it should be a really, she's written a book called uh, Call Me a Woman, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow at 1 p.m. Uh, so until then, I'm Matt Apple for the My Dog TV Podcast. Have a great rest of your night, and bye for now. Oh, did I say thank you for coming?
me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 